Thanks, Owen. Um, if you have a Bible, can you open it to page 670, one of the church Bibles? Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Um, if you are a grey-haired hippie, these words may be familiar from the song written by the birds, but this is where it comes from. Um, can I just begin by uh, um, making a plea? Um, I am involved in the church plant in Charleston, which is a housing scheme in the northwest of Dundee. We run uh, two youth clubs on a Monday night for primary kids and on a Thursday night for uh, teenagers, and uh, a lot of kids are coming, praise God. Um, So we had about 30 kids on Monday uh, last week, which is wonderful, Uh, but we don't have that many leaders So if you would like to be involved in any of these ministries in the youth club on Monday night or on Thursday night, uh, please do speak to me after the service. Uh, We really do need help. And uh, I noticed that some of you here might be students, uh, perhaps coming for the first time. And if St. Peter's uh, is to be your church, this would be a great way uh, to uh, help serve the church. Um, So please, if you want to be involved and if you can help us, do speak to me at the end of the service. Right, Ecclesiastes. Now, this book, Ecclesiastes, it's a wisdom book in the Bible, which means that it's not like a story or it's not laws, but it is observations designed to teach us how to live wisely in God's world. And so Ecclesiastes is written by a guy called the teacher. And the big way he wants to teach us wisdom is to try and get us to uh, get real about the complexities and the difficulties and the frustrations that we face living in a fallen world. He wants to kind of um, remove our rose-tinted spectacles and help us to view the world as it really is and to view ourselves as we really are. He wants us to see our limitations. He wants us to see our failings. And he wants to constantly remind us that all that we are and all that we achieve in this life is just a breath. In fact, the word that is um, translated meaningless, it's a word that he uses throughout this book. Uh, I think it's an unhelpful translation uh, in the NIV here, but I think it would be better translated as breath. Everything is just a breath. That is what the teacher says. That's his analysis on life. Now, um, that can sound like a bit of a downer, but the teacher wants to do that not to depress us, but so that we will get real and so that we will put all our hope and all our trust on the one who is not a breath, so that we will fear God. In fact, you could sum up the message of Ecclesiastes like this. Uh, I didn't come up with this. This is from a minister called Von Roberts, but I think it's a very helpful summary of Ecclesiastes. Face facts and fear God. That's what this book is designed to do, to help us face facts and fear God. Now, as we come to chapter 3, the teacher wants to achieve that purpose by getting us to think about something um, that I guess we probably don't think about that often, and it's time. If there's one reality that should humble us, that should expose our limitations, and that should cause us to be utterly dependent upon, upon God, it's when we think about the passage of time. So, let's read it. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under heaven. 
a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him or fear him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. I also thought, as for men, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is just a breath. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upwards and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Let me pray. Then we'll read, look at this passage together. Father, um, thank you for the wisdom contained in this book. Father, please teach us to be wise. Please humble us. Please show us our limitations. Please, this morning, would you remind us that you are God, the great, wild, untamable, majestic, holy ruler and creator of the universe. That this world exists for you. It was made by you and for you. And Father, as we study the wisdom of the teacher, we ask that above all we would see Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Father, teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray. Amen. Um, well, I'm a massive uh, music fan. And if there is uh, one soundtrack for me for the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, it would have to be Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. In my opinion, the greatest album that has ever been made. Uh, and it's a concept album about life and death. And what's interesting in that album is they have two songs about the, the things that we want more of in life, and yet we never feel we have enough. And they're called Time and Money. Um, and what we see here um, 
sorry, in the lyrics to the song Time, uh, this is how it goes like. It says this, tired of lying in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain. You are young and life is long and there is time to kill today. And then one day you find 10 years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. So you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking, racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. Now, those lyrics encapture much of what we feel when we think about time. When you're young, you don't think about time. You just live for the moment. And then when you get older and you start getting closer to death, you you start asking the question, where has all the time gone? And, And we try and run from that reality whilst the world continues. The sun is the same in a relative way, but we're older. Time seems to elude us and it seems unpredictable I mean we try to an extent to control what our time will be like on this earth but the the truth is that our control is is very limited we don't know what will befall us we don't know how long we have got here each of us um we, we we are trying to write the story of our lives but the passage of time And its unpredictable nature reminds us of one key truth. In the story of our lives, we are not the main authors. As much as we'd like to be, we are not the main author. We don't often think about it. Live for now. Don't worry about the past. Don't think too much about the future. We don't want to think about drawing closer to death because... The truth is, the sands of time will erase all that we have achieved. And that can be a depressing thought. But the teacher here in Ecclesiastes, he wants us to confront it because, well, because it's real. And actually what we see in Scripture is that when we start to face that fact, it frees us to trust in the good God who is in charge of all the times that we face. So, let's be wise. There are three things we need to see from this passage. Firstly, there is a pattern to time. Secondly, there is a God who governs time. And thirdly, there is a judgment at the end of time. Firstly then, there's a pattern to time. Nothing's random, nothing is pointless. Verse 1, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And in the poem that follows, we kind of get this beautiful portrait of this kind of orderly nature of time. There is a time selected by God for us to be born, and there's a time selected by him for us to die. What we read of here are the various different things that can happen in our lifetime. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. And kind of in a a beautifully succinct way, the teacher is describing for us the totality of human existence. There are good times and there are bad times. And we'd love it if it was just the good times, wouldn't we? We'd love it if it was all just positive. But there are times in life where we must weep and not laugh. 
There are even times where it's appropriate to kill and not to heal. There are times for war, aren't there? During the Second World War, Neville Chamberlain, the British Prime Minister, got this wrong. Remember, he said that this was the time of peace, and he was wrong. It was a time for war. But it's not just a kind of pendulum swing between good and bad times. Uh, Some of these things seem quite random, and some of them are neither good uh, nor bad. Verse 5, I'm not really sure what this means. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. There's nothing good or bad about that. A a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Um, Later on in verse 7, there's a time for keeping silent. Some of us need help discerning that time. Uh, There's also time for speaking. Again, some of us probably need help for discerning when that is too. But do you notice, these aren't kind of moral choices, are they? Because not everything in life is black and white like that. The times that befall us, they can be good, they can be bad, or they can be neither. They can be in between. There are set times in place. But the frustration is that we have limited control over them. To an extent we do. Like, we know that when you go to a funeral, we know not to dance. Right? We know that is a time for mourning. We can read that time. We can understand it. Other times we... We, we don't really know what's going on. And sometimes we are so utterly helpless to understand what the timely thing to do is. And we are utterly helpless to control it. So we can't say, okay, this week for me, I'm going to have the vast majority of my days being a time to laugh and a time to dance. I would like that. Uh, I'll throw in a couple of minutes weeping here and there, you know, because I'm Scottish and I don't want to go mad. Uh, And Scotland are playing Belgium, so I I know what's going to happen there. Uh, I'll have a lot of hours of love and some times of embracing, and that'll be me. No, you you don't get to choose often. Because the times that befall us are not often within our control. And yet neither are they pointless or random. Do you know, it's interesting that the teacher talks about this in a poem. It it kind of helps to to convey that there, there is order and there is beauty behind the messiness of the times that befall us. There is a plan, there is control behind it. Um. As well as being a music buff, I'm also a bit of a, a film buff. Um, I wonder if I was to ask you, what's the best time travel film? Some of you might have never seen any time travel films. Uh, most people would probably say Back to the Future, but I would say you're wrong. Uh, the best time travel film, in my opinion, is Terminator 2, Judgment Day. It's a wonderful film. Um, and there's a famous quote in that film, and it kind of it sums up our thinking about our time. You actually see it kind of in any film about time travel, you get this kind of uh, understanding. And this is the quote, there is no fate but what we make for ourselves. There is no purpose. There is no pattern. It sums up the thought of our culture. All that happens to you is dependent upon you. Now, if if you really believed that, it would paralyze you with fear. Because if it's all dependent upon me and my choices, I don't know about you, I find that terrifying because there's stuff that I can't control and quite often I make daft choices in life. 
We are not God. We are not many gods constructing our own future, constructing our own story. Yes, there is an order. Yes, there is a purpose. But it comes not from us, but from the God who governs time. And that's what the teacher is about to tell us. You see, if all you had is this poem, it's actually quite depressing. Uh, uh, This is often read at funerals, just the poem, but it's actually quite a depressing poem because look at what he goes on to say in verse 9. All the times that we experience, and he asks this question, what do you gain from all your toil? Nothing. Go through a roller coaster of ups and downs, and then we die, and we are dust, and we have nothing to show, and there was no gain. Thankfully, the teacher does not just have the poem because he knows there is more. Second point, there is a God who governs all time. Have a look at verse 10. I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You see, God has made... And is making everything beautiful in its time. All that befalls us, all that befalls this world is being orchestrated by the great maestro of time into one masterpiece symphony. But we can't see it. Can we? Isn't that the frustration he's feeling? How does cancer fit into verse 11? How does genocide, how do times of weeping, of war, of killing fit into that verse? What is God doing with the times that befall us? We don't know quite often. And the preacher, I think, would say, the teacher would say that you're a fool if you think you can work everything out, if you can understand everything. Part of the frustration of humanity is that we can't work it out. Verse 11, we cannot find what God is doing from beginning to end. We, we lack the perspective. We lack the longevity. We are finite, frail mortals who cannot see the picture from beginning to end. And that's frustrating. It's frustrating not just because we want to know, but because... Within every single one of us is eternity. We are eternal beings made in God's image. We are not made to die. We are not made to be slaves to the tyranny of time. And every one of us knows it. That's why in in every culture across the world, there has been some sort of concept of life after death because God has implanted eternity into all our hearts. We know there's, there's nothing natural about death. Nothing good or normal. There is, there is purpose, there is meaning, but it seems to elude us. We can't see it and it's all just a breath. Now look, to be a Christian is to know that there is indeed a purpose, there is a master plan, and by the grace of Jesus, we know the end of that plan. But that doesn't mean that if you follow Jesus, everything in life is just hunky-dory. Knowing there is a purpose to what happens to us does not mean that we know all the details of how that purpose is worked out. 
right? And so we, we feel this frustration uh, because we know the end, but we don't know why God is letting certain times happen to us now. And here's where we've got to be careful. You see, I, I think we would like there to be a, a system, a way of governing the world that, that we would like it done. And if God doesn't fall into our system, we're annoyed and we're angry and we feel let down by him. But that's not letting God be God. That is us trying to be God. We, we come up with how we think God should operate and then we get frustrated when he doesn't play by our rules. Do you know one of the things I've learned um, in studying the wisdom literature of the Bible is that there is great wisdom and great freedom in saying honestly, I don't know. I don't know why you've done this. It's the problem in the book of Job, isn't it? Job's comforters, they, they have a system on how God should operate. And their system is that good people receive blessings from God and bad people are punished by God. But Job, the righteous sufferer, his suffering smashes that system apart and they simply just, they cannot believe that Job is a good person and that God would cause suffering to happen to him. That the wild, untamable God of the Bible does not fit into their system, does not fit into their mold. And so we can get frustrated with a verse like verse 11 because we can't see how God could possibly make everything beautiful in its time when there's so much ugliness that we have experienced and seen. It doesn't fit with us, and that's the point. It's not meant to because you are not God. The teacher knows what God will do eventually, but he also knows that there's a frustration in not knowing how he is going to do it. You may have heard the illustration. It's common, but it's worth repeating. At time is like a tapestry, and from our under-the-sun perspective, we catch just the, the fleeting glimpse of the back of the tapestry, and it's all messy and frayed, and it looks random and pointless. But there is one on the other side of the tapestry, on the other side of time, who is weaving it together into this beautiful picture and we can't see it yet because we are in time and yet he is not and so we are limited and we are finite and we are frail and we need to learn to fear him and to trust him Ecclesiastes what it does part of the wisdom in Ecclesiastes is to say we need to let God be God and we know that we are doing that in life because when the times are good, as verse 13 says, when we find satisfaction in all our toil, we thank God because it is not from us, it is a gift that he has given to us. But when we face bad times, we throw ourselves onto his sovereignty. Everything he does endures forever. God acts this way so that people will learn to fear him. So please see this, it is not cruel or unkind for God to remind you that you are not the boss of your life. We might want to cry out why. There's a lot of people in scripture who do. But the scripture tends to draw us to an even deeper question. Who? Who is this God who governs the world this way? Who is he 
who controls these times. Can I trust him? In order to, we need information from above the sun. Simple observation of this world is not enough. What has he told me that shows me that I can trust him? And you know, God in his kindness never leaves us stumbling in the dark. Trusting him does not mean being completely ignorant of what he is doing. Yes, there are some things that are hidden, but there are things that have been revealed. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, the hidden things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us. Everything will be beautiful, he tells us. And in his grace, we have the great privilege of seeing something of the master plan. In fact, the apostle Peter tells, tells us that the prophets in the Old Testament, like the teacher, and even the angels, long to know what the church of Jesus knows today. For at just the right time, a hugely significant event happened that we are fortunate to know about. Galatians 4 verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who are under law so that we might receive adoption as sons. If you follow Jesus, you won't know why God allows certain things to happen to you and there's wisdom in saying you don't know. But here's what you can know for certain. You are forgiven, you are redeemed, and you are loved like God's own precious adopted child. Because Jesus came at just the right time. Jesus died and Jesus saved you. And the plan of the universe is that God will have his people living free from sin under the rule of King Jesus. That's the beautiful picture. That's what will happen. And one day when we are with Jesus, we will look back on our lives and we will see, oh, that had to happen. It had to be that way. And now it's beautiful. Verse 15. Do you see what the teacher says? That God will call the past into account. The stuff that's happened to us in the past is not forgotten to him. He will take it back. He is using it to weave it into something beautiful. As Paul tells the Corinthians, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so the teacher is trying to free us from the prison of ourself and our introspection and cause us to throw ourselves onto this great God's everlasting arms. And this is how the teacher knows that all these times that that, that happen to us, this is how he knows that it's not pointless because of this third point. There will be a judgment at the end of time. Have a look at verse 16. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. There can only be purpose to time if there is judgment at the end of time. At the end, we will know that no one got away with anything. 
the teacher sees that wicked people, where there should be justice, there is wickedness, and yet he knows there has to be a judgment, and we will know that no one got away with anything. Jimmy Savile did not get away with it. His past will be gathered back to him as he stands before the judgment seat of Christ. Every deed will be brought into judgment. That's what we're told at the very end of Ecclesiastes. After you've read the entire book, this is the end of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, because God is going to bring every deed into judgment. See, if there is no judgment, there is no meaning. Judgment implies that there are things that are objectively wrong and objectively right. And God will make sure everything is accounted for. And so the teacher knows there has to be a time for judgment. The big problem he struggles with is that he can't see when that time will be. Because in the place of justice, there is wickedness. And then, and then when he stops and he, he looks at the human race, he's, he sees that we just die like animals. Verse 18, I also thought, as for men, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animals Everything is just a breath. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward, and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work, because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Now do you feel the, the tension? You look down a microscope, you will see that biologically there is no difference between a human being and an animal. But you look into your heart and you see eternity. And we know there's something more. And so people who say we're just beasts are just suppressing the eternity that God has placed in us all. And so if there is this eternity, then there must be this judgment in eternity, a time where everything is accounted for. Eternity is what makes sense of of right and wrong. As, As Dostoevsky said, if there is no immortality of the soul, then everything would be permitted. But the teacher believes in judgment, and yet his kind of under-the-sun perspective, which means from, from my earthly perspective, I can't quite work it out. It's fuzzy. Yes, God will bring judgment. Yes, we have eternity in our hearts, but we still die. And he can't quite piece out how it all fits together. And so he concludes with that question, who can tell us what will happen after we die? No one under the sun. But my brothers and sisters, there was one who was above the sun who can. One who has existed outside of time. Who broke into human history at just the right time. He came, he died for our sins, and on the third day he rose again. Who can tell us? Well, the one who has passed through death's dark valley can tell us. Jesus is the death conqueror and he affirms that there is a judgment and that it's going to happen to everyone and no one can escape this judgment. Not all of us will die, but all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 
there is a judgment and God will bring the past and he will not let anything slide. He will bring it back. And the, the harsh truth of that is that all of us deserve to be judged. All of us deserve hell. But Jesus came to save us from the judgment that we deserve, to take our penalty and to bring us eternal joy and peace, to quench that eternal longing in our souls, to do that by his grace and his love and his mercy. And so we see clearly what the teacher couldn't quite see. Don't you see that question that haunts us all? What will happen after we are gone? God in his grace has shown us through Jesus the answer. So that releases the great burden of not knowing. With all the confusion, there is certainty. I don't know what's going to happen between now and then between now and the time I meet Jesus. I don't know what times will befall me, but I do know what will happen at the end. I know the end of the story. And it's a wonderful end for those who have trusted Christ. I just want to close by saying this. God has placed eternity in every heart. And so it's helpful to know today, if you're a Christian you have a real ally in evangelism here because it's in everyone. Some people will suppress that. That's what Romans tells us. But eternity is there. It's in all people. As, as C.S. Lewis said, you, you never meet someone who's just a mere mortal. We're eternal beings. And so we need to let Ecclesiastes 3 not just help us get real about our limitations, but to spur us on to tell others about what we do know is certain, what has been revealed, what is not hidden. We do know that God will judge humanity, and we do know that the only way you can be saved from that judgment is by turning in repentance to the Lord Jesus. And that eternal longing is there, that ally in our evangelism is there in every heart. Just flip forward to me, just to be close, flip forward with me to uh, Acts chapter 17. I just want to see how the Apostle Paul uses the wisdom of Ecclesiastes 3 in evangelism. Acts chapter 17, um, on page uh, 1113, 1113 uh, in the church Bibles. I'm just going to read from verse 24. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul um, speaking to a pagan audience. Um, trying to to tell them to come to Jesus. Uh, Now look at this, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. So stop limiting this great God. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. It's this great God who governs time. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere 
to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. This is the response. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. We are not the authors of our lives. But this God who is not fashioned by human hands is. And he gets the last say. And we must take our eyes off ourselves onto him. And if you come to him in repentance, this is the good news of the gospel. You come to him in repentance. The end of the story is not judgment, but one of eternal joy and acceptance where all the times of your life are woven together for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we must tell. Let's pray. Father God, the things that are hidden belong to you, but the things revealed belong to us. Jesus has revealed to us that there is indeed a judgment at the end of time. It's inescapable, and all of us will have to give an account. And Father, if we were just left by ourselves to stand, that would be a terrifying prospect because we are sinners. We have not made the best use of the time that has been given to us. And yet we praise you that on the judgment day we do not have to rely upon ourselves, but we throw ourselves completely onto Jesus, onto his saving grace. We rely not upon our good deeds, but upon his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We praise you that Jesus has defeated our sin, has destroyed the devil, and has risen from the grave, having conquered death itself. So who can tell us what will happen after we are gone? Only he can, and he has. And Father, help us then to be humble, to be dependent upon you in the times of frustration and confusion when we don't know what time it is, whether it's weeping or mourning, when we don't know why these times have befallen us. Help us to trust in Jesus and to throw ourselves completely onto him and his mercy. And please, would you hold us through the bad times and help us to be thankful in the good times. We thank you that we don't have to trust in ourselves and our choices, but we trust in the God who governs all time and who's weaving it into something beautiful. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.